0: The Bear Cast, presented by Bird Culchin Ford. Bird Culcian Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The Bearcast is also presented by Well Med Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhaver.
1: And good afternoon on this Tuesday, February the 21st, 2023. Craig Smoke, Grayson Grudenhafer, Garrett Ross behind the scenes. Welcome into the BearCast on Sikkim365.com. 365 Sports and our Baylor YouTube channel, uh, Baylor Bears on Sikkim365. If you haven't hit subscribe, please do so and uh, help support what we do and help uh, keep us uh, making sure that you have the best possible coverage of the Baylor Bears athletics program and also, you know, various talk about other subjects as well. But we are here, as always, on Tuesdays at around noon to talk all things going on in Baylor athletics. Grayson, uh, how are we doing this week, man?
2: Good. Another fun week. And, you know, we always talk about this during the spring. We start to have all these sports. that get ramped up and it's kind of fun to cover those and just watch them and see how they progress throughout the year. So that's obviously been fun. Basketball has been the headline. Um, Tough loss this weekend. But again, fun to watch. They're a good team. And so, yeah, overall, good week to watch Baylor sports and a lot of good. And then also, as you had in your column, a, a lot of bad as well.
1: Yeah, I mean there were some hits and some misses uh, across the the athletics landscape. Uh, we probably aren't going to get into like all twenty sports every week that are going on, just simply because it's it's a lot to uh, to digest. But if you are looking to digest kind of a weekly summary, then I suggest uh, taking a look at the good, the bad, the ugly column that I write comes out each Monday, and that's uh, a nice, like I said, digest for you to be able to consume everything, I guess, that's that's going on in sort of bite-sized fashion. So, yeah, it depends on where you look. Tennis has been a little rough lately as far as getting wins. Golf's been, in, you know, kind of in the middle. Uh, they've been doing well. I mean, it, it, like I said, it kind of depends on where you look. But right now, basketball's where all the attention is. I mean, that's where uh, they are now into the grind of the last couple weeks of the regular season you got the big 12 conference tournaments right around the corner and uh, in terms of both basketball programs there's a little bit of a mixed bag there as well and last week was was certainly that uh, the women struggling mightily uh, can't buy themselves a win now four straight losses and uh, hovering right around 500 in conference play which is highly unusual for them and Uh, For the men, yeah, a a bit of a mixed bag last week with the win over West Virginia and then the loss to Kansas. So uh, let's start off with the men. We've also got an important date coming out for football uh, that we will discuss as the spring schedule starts to take a bit more shape as well. But uh, for Baylor men's basketball, I mean, uh, had a fantastic year up until this point. They've got K State coming up later on tonight. Uh, Jerome Tang, the return trip to Manhattan after Tang and company came into town and got the big, surprising win in his first duel with Scott Drew, and we know how emotional that was, Grayson. And that ought to make for a you know a really interesting game tonight because they've been struggling really uh, the last couple of weeks, in particular K State in in you know, really since that Baylor game, they sort of lost a little bit of momentum along the way, whereas they started out of the gates just red hot, one of the best stories in college basketball, and you're like, shoot, Jerome Tang's like this new superstar head coach, and uh, they've they've lost a little steam along the way, safe to say, but for uh, Baylor men's basketball, uh, before we get into tonight and what the K-State matchup means and all of that, uh, you look back at last week, and uh, getting that win over West Virginia. Obviously, that was important because that's a team that is behind you in the standings. Last thing you wanted to do in this very tight race was go and lose a game that you weren't expecting to lose, and that would have been the case had they lost to the Mountaineers. Instead, Jalen Bridges gets the 2-0 uh, you know, performance uh, look, uh, earns two wins uh, against his old team, so that's one of the fun underlying stories, but 79-67 at the Farrell Center. Turn around, though, and go to Lawrence, Kansas, and... You know, feeling great at halftime, you're up by double digits, everything's going about as well as you could imagine and then one of the worst second halves that we've ever seen from a a competitive Baylor basketball team. Unfolded there in Lawrence and KU goes from down double digits to winning by double digits. So one and one on the week. Now a game back in the Big Twelve standings, Kansas and Texas still on top. As we mentioned, the big game against K State tonight. And really you gotta win all of them from from here on out. Uh to if you're looking at just the regular season crown and you'll need a little bit of help as well. So uh what did you make of the one and one showing last week that really I guess the big story coming out was that second half. Uh, and and you know Kansas earning that win.
2: Yeah, so I mean I don't want to brush over the West Virginia win because sure. that's another top twenty five Ken Palm win, which is just fascinating to see that you know West Virginia is only four games over five hundred, but they're twenty fourth in Ken Palm. That's a really competitive team, and they came out um, and beat up on Oklahoma State uh, this week as well. So. Big one for Baylor. They won by double digits. That game was never really in doubt. You know, it was like a six-point game for a long time. Baylor jumped it out to uh, double digits in the second half, came away with a big home win. But the Kansas game is where I want to focus a lot of the attention. So, obviously, I'm sitting there watching the first half, and they looked outstanding. Like, their guards were hitting crazy threes, Keontae George taking really tough shots, making them. Keontae had the big dunk, which so far is the highlight of the year in my opinion as far as just individual plays. It was fantastic, dunked on uh, K.J. Adams. Um, And then L.J. Cryer and Adam Flagler continuing to do what they've done over the second half of the year, and that is just score points in bunches. And that first half was so impressive, but I think I went into halftime And I know the announcer said this, and I felt this way as well. You know, it was only a 13-point game. And I think if you sat there and watched that game, it really should have been like 20 or 25. It should have been a complete snowball like what happened in the second half. Um, But KU was able to get to the foul line, which is something that happens a lot now in Fieldhouse. And they were able to make up some points just by getting to the free throw line. I think it was like 15-4. to free throw advantage in the first half, which really allowed them to at least stay within striking distance. And I do think in basketball, when you're up by 20 versus up by 13, that is a huge difference. And so I think Baylor somewhat let KU off the hook in the first half, and then the second half, as we saw, one of the worst defensive performances I've ever seen from a Baylor basketball team. Uh, Kendall Cowell mentioned on our website, what they did in the second half defensively was equivalent of fouling an 86% foul shooter every time down the floor and having him shoot free throws. That's just insane, and that just speaks to the kind of looks they were giving up, which was transition layups, backdoor cuts for layups, turning the ball over for dunks, wide open threes, Um, and in the first half, KU wasn't hitting their open threes. They had open looks. They weren't making them. They flipped that around the second half, and then defensively, they got up on Baylor. They crowded Baylor's shooters, and they said, hey, if you're going to drive by us or you're going to throw passes to your bigs in the middle of the lane and score layups, that's what we're going to make you do. We're not going to allow you to just stand there and shoot threes uh, the rest of this game or just you know win one-on-one matchups because we know you can do that. Um, so KU's adjustments, KU's coaching at the end of the day, their adjustments they made coming out of halftime were the difference in this one. So tough, disappointing loss for Baylor, but now they got to figure out a way to bounce back and also got to remember like, hey – Was the expectation to go win in Allen Fieldhouse, like, was that what everyone thought was going to happen? No. It's unfortunate how it happened, but at the end of the day, it's just a loss that you kind of knew going into the year was one that you were pretty likely was going to happen, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you were going out predicting the schedule, you probably had an L next to Allen Fieldhouse. I mean, if you're just being realistic about it. So, yeah, it's not a complete shocker that they lost. It is very much the way that it happened, and... Yeah, just um, atrocious defense. It's a really bad second half. I mean, all-time historically bad second half that, uh, I mean, anytime you're you're up, you know, 15-ish or and uh, you seem like you're in cruise control, I mean, that's you, – you never thought that Kansas was dead at halftime, mm-hmm. but, I mean, you didn't expect that kind of a run uh, there in the second half to, to go from down double digits to winning cleanly and, and clearly by double digits the way that they did. So, yeah, all – all bad uh there in Lawrence, Kansas, to close out that road trip and uh, as a result uh now uh, with you looking at the big twelve standings and just a couple of weeks ago, you got k u at eleven and four they've won five straight games now at this point, and what uh just
2: Three games remaining for them in Big 12 play. And the big thing for them is they have Tech and West Virginia, who I know are trending in the right direction, but both those games are in Allen Fieldhouse. They're not going to lose those two. But then it's intriguing. The last weekend of the year, they do travel to Austin, and they play Texas. So still a lot to be decided. But like you said, uh, not a lot left on their schedule heading into that.
1: Yeah, so they're at eleven and four, just three games remaining. Texas at ten and four, so they've got five games remaining. Uh, Baylor will obviously play them. They'll also play Texas, uh, Kansas, excuse me, as you just uh, mentioned. So uh, they're right there in second place. Baylor then at nine and five. And there's K State at eight and six Iowa states also eight and six, as they've been very up and down, but uh yeah, now uh tonight in Manhattan, Kansas, it's k State part two. Uh, we know the first time around, uh, I mean Jerome Tang was right in the thick of just his exploding onto the scene, and everybody was talking about how suddenly the color lavender was like the coolest uniform color ever, and the crowds were going nuts in Manhattan and It seemed like they couldn't do any wrong. I mean, they were just winning games, winning games, winning games. And, you know, now it's started to balance out a bit and uh, come back down to earth a little bit to the point of. You know, just a couple weeks ago, I'm sitting there, I think they lost a couple in a row or something, and people are complaining about the crowds again, and it's just like, all right, now we've kind of settled back down to to earth a little, Uh, but still a very good team with a couple of, in particular, very good players. Uh, Your thoughts tonight on the Baylor men and what they're facing
2: and what they have to do uh, taking on Tang and uh, K-State. Right, so I I just kind of want to put their slide in perspective. They're 2-4, and right? but over their last six. And so if you look at their schedule, a lot of people are saying, oh, they're in this crazy slide. Okay, well, they lost at Kansas, uh, who they beat earlier in the year, so you figured they were probably going to lose that game. They lost to Texas, who, again, is right there at the top of the Big 12 standings. They beat TCU by 21 without Mike Miles. Not a great win. Whatever. Then they got the unfortunate pleasure of playing Texas Tech and Oklahoma at this point in the season as both those teams are starting to play better uh, towards the end of the year. And they played both on the road. And they lost both of those games. And then they rebounded and beat an Iowa State team uh, at home over the weekend. So, Yes, I know they're 2 and 4, but it's been a tough schedule. It's been a really tough slate for them, and they still have kind of weathered it. I mean, they're still 20 and 7, they're still 8 and 6. Their schedule to end the year is fairly favorable. Um, and a lot of people are picking them to potentially win the conference because of their in-season schedule. Um, but like you said, it's kind of gone downhill a little bit. I don't consider them a Big 12 contender anymore. Now, as far as the Baylor side of things, they got to regroup and adjust. And I do believe after that second half, you're going to see a very focused Baylor team. Um, and I just simply think Baylor is the better basketball team. And for that reason, I think Baylor's probably going to win this game by double digits. I think that Baylor is going to play an inspired brand of basketball uh, tonight. And I think they're going to come away with the win. I, I think they actually match up pretty well with Kansas State, despite the fact that they lost to them the first time. Uh, I would say this is clearly a very different Baylor team since that matchup. I would also say this is a very different Kansas State team since that first matchup as well. Um, So yeah, I'm expecting the better team to win tonight um, and I'm expecting Baylor to get a little revenge um, in this matchup. And what would be a huge one for the Big 12 race and for Baylor in general?
1: Yeah, I mean, just in terms of their seeding overall, uh, I want to keep winning games, obviously, although to get you know that regular season title again they'll have to win out and also get some help and you know that's probably not super likely but all you can do is take care of what you got in front of you um and that's tonight against Kansas State so get a win there and see what else happens along the way and you know if you uh, don't get the breaks needed Uh, Then you still got the Big 12 tournament, and you've got, obviously, the biggest prize, the NCAA tournament upcoming, so uh, so much basketball left to play, and uh, they're in a good spot considering how they started. I mean, they've been on quite the tear. Uh, Just that second half against Kansas kind of slammed the brakes on all the feel-good over the last few weeks and just kind of woke everybody up to, A, Kansas is still Kansas, and B,
2: um, you play like that, you're going to get washed by pretty much anybody so yeah and i mean the calendar is about to turn over to march and you need to start playing your best basketball and here's the deal even if they lose to kansas state this weekend you also or tonight you got to remember that this weekend, they play Texas, and that's another huge game. It's an in-state rivalry. They lost the first game. big. You know They're both still in the Big 12 title hunt, so still a lot to play for. Again, I expect them to win tonight. I actually expect them to beat Texas as well this weekend. I don't think that they'll lose to them twice in a season, um, and so I'm anticipating a bounce-back week for this Baylor basketball program. And they really need one Um, because simply put, I know we're we're harping on this Kansas second half, but to me, the bigger issue is they're second in Kim Palm on offense. They're 88th in Kim Palm on defense. That has got to get fixed some way, somehow. I'm not saying that they need to have a top 25 defense the rest of the way, but they need to at least be top like 35 if you actually want to win a national championship. The stats bear that out. The facts bear that out. If they actually want to compete in March, that defense has to get fixed, and hopefully we see some signs of that over the next couple weeks.
1: Yeah, and asking uh, Ashley Hodge from our website uh, on the radio show yesterday about you know surprises and you know, kind of the big expectations rolling into the season. I mean, he thought they'd be pretty good on offense, but I think everybody's shocked by the defense and just how uh, lacking they are in, in that area. That's surprising to, I think, everybody involved that they're, um, you know, didn't they weren't expecting to be, like, a top-five defense, but, I mean, they've been, like, pretty low. I mean,
2: as you just mentioned, nearing the bottom 100. So, yeah, that's that's got to get corrected. Yeah, I think it, it's a lot to do with size. It's a lot to do, you know, I, I know a lot of people are harping on Keontae, you know, Key's defense. And I know he does get lost at times, but he's a freshman. I also think that we've seen some regression defensively from Flo Thamba. I think not having everyday John there obviously is a big impact. And watching him move, he's he's not back. Like, you can tell defensively, he's just not quite there, which is to be expected. Um, And Scott Drew's mentioned, I think he mentioned it on uh, y'all's show, just talking about how he thinks it'll be a little while before it all comes together for this team and for uh, Everyday John as well. So they need to make strides in that area. They need to continue playing really good offense, which we've seen up to this point. I, I know what to expect from Flagler and LJ. Um, now it's just making sure the rest of the team stays well-rounded and connected. And I honestly think if they start playing really good defense, that will help the offense as well. Um, So, they need to, you know, I think keep that in mind. That creates easier uh, buckets going the other way, creates transition opportunities, and I think just helps this team flow in general. Yeah, and at the same
1: time, you are who you are, and you're not going to magically, you know, become great defensively with a month ago right. in the season when you've been playing for three, four months already. So, I mean, that's also being realistic about the situation. They can get better. Uh, they're also not going to magically turn into a top-20 defense. Mm-hmm. So uh, find the nice middle ground. Uh, play as well as you can offensively. They have arguably the best offense in the country, and you play well on that side and do what you can on the other side, and hopefully that takes you as far as it can. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that second half against KU is ugly, so flush that. And tonight... Kansas State on the road to Manhattan, so we have that to look forward to uh, here in the next few hours and, and obviously that results uh, one way or the other will be important just in terms of the standings, seedings, things like that moving forward, but was good to see them get that West Virginia win. Meanwhile, on the women's side of things, do have some football notes we'll get to in uh, just a couple of minutes, but do want to stick with hoops here as uh, Nikki Collin and the women have lost four straight games now, uh, really struggling to find themselves a win. The freshman duo of Little Page Bugs and Fauna Roy continues to be great, continues to you know seemingly get acknowledged, feels like every week by the Big 12 Conference, but... Um, here, as of late, it's been you know good performances but bad outcomes, and they had a really rough zero 2 two week a uh, week ago that we talked about a little bit. Uh, but this was like another level of of you know bad because not only did you lose a couple more games, but you turned around out of last week. And last week, here's just kind of set the table. You had number sixteen Oklahoma dead to rights in. Waco. I mean, had them on the ropes. All you needed was to land, like, one more blow, and you beat the Sooners. And quite frankly, at that point, you had won three straight games, so you were were in a really good spot. And instead, what has happened since then, and that was fresh off the heels of beating a nearly top-10 Iowa State team, so you were flying high. And next thing you know, you choke against Oklahoma. I'm sorry, but you do. You let that game slip through your fingertips. You end up losing in overtime by six. Uh, so you drop that one. You clearly have a hangover heading into the next game, and albeit Oklahoma State was playing better. But you proceed to get beaten by 21 at Stillwater. So you let the, the Oklahoma loss kind of, you know, weigh you down a little bit, and then credits Oklahoma State for, for doing the rest of it. All right, that's cool. But you need to stop the bleeding. How about K-State? They're not that good, right? You go to K-State, it's tough playing on the road. That's fine. But still, you're Baylor. You should you know, feel pretty good about your your opportunity to go in there and get a win, you get blown out by nearly 20 points. So this whole, like, clean the week, freshen it up, and, like, put this the losses behind you or whatever, I mean, they were even more hungover in, in that game, seemingly. All right, that's cool. Here comes Iowa State. We just beat them. They've dropped 10 spots since we last played them. Surely we can beat them now at home, mind you. Instead, another game where win is right there just like reach out and grab this win and take it home with you and celebrate it and they cannot close it out and Iowa State comes back and wins by four uh, as that drops them to four straight losses uh, on the year and of course that Iowa State game another overtime loss where they just can't close it out in regulation and uh, they suffer in extras and so just since this Oklahoma game, man, it has been loss after loss after loss after loss. And I wouldn't be making that big of a deal about it. Although they are now at 500 in Big 12 play, which is extremely foreign territory for them. I mean, not even close to having been in that position in like two decades. For real. Uh, but you've got your head coach who's like very clearly in the post game, mentioning the outside noise and just very perturbed or flustered or whatever adjective that you want to use. Uh, Nikki Collin, you know, standing up for herself and for her team and like I can coach and very adamant about outside noise is not going to affect them and they know what they're doing and she knows what she's doing and all that's great and everything but man, uh, it just feeds, it just seems like food for the trolls uh, as, as you're losing four straight and I mean, I I believe her. I think that she's she's, you know, um, the same coach who helped lead them to a Big 12 championship last year. I know the first thing Facebook person will say is, well, Alice Kim's player, you know, like that kind of thing. I'm not here to debate all of that. I mean, the situations are what they are. Uh, but she's catching heat from the Facebook crowd because I don't see a ton of it on Twitter. I mean, I might see somebody like here and there. Um, I don't know about Instagram. I don't know if Instagram cares. <laughs> but clearly the Facebook crowd does. And I know that's – that's um, – you know, it's an age thing in so many ways. Uh, that's, uh, I I don't know, a demographics thing in so many ways. Just that that, that crowd has been like the crowd that really has followed women's mm-hmm. basketball along the way. And, you know, there's obviously still a lot of bad bullets, just to be real about it, from the coaching transition. Um, but, again, tried to explain to everybody multiple times, I mean, you can – delve back and and roll in that mud all you want to, but the fact of the matter is this is year number two that she's almost wrapping up now at this point, so we all got to move along at some point. And there's, granted, some people that are enjoying probably watching her struggle, and there's also some people just frustrated because, hey, this is a very proud program, and, like, what's going on here? Like, we can't just completely lose our grip on women's basketball. This is part of what makes Baylor Baylor, quite frankly. So, uh, man, this has been kind of tough to watch here. As you can tell, just based on our press conference, that it's getting, you know, the walls are closing in, it feels like. And so, it just makes me wonder, kind of setting the whole table here, of what's ahead of them now? Um, can they snap this losing streak? I mean, can they get off the schneid, and and how strongly can they close this season? And, and how much do people have the patience to realize that Bella Fontelroy and Dariana Little Page Bucks can be big pieces of what they're doing moving forward? Um, I'm sure we'll Talk to Mac Rhodes either today or, or, you know, whenever we do get him next time, and we'll bring this up and just kind of get his feel. But he's been very just patient because, unlike fans, you can't go every win or loss, go like high and low, high and low as an athletic director. You just got to be Mister or Mr. or Mrs in the middle and and keep an even keel but right now I mean it's it's four straight losses Grace and and, and clearly she's addressing outside noise in the post game so that's rattling and reverberating around the program as well so um yeah, just what do you make of of kind of the position that they're in right now and, and just uh where
2: they're headed as well. Yeah, and Nicky Collins actually gonna be on three sixty-five sports radio show uh later on today. Oh yeah, that's right five. yeah. Smokey's yeah. Uh, gonna have that. Yes, yeah, right. So yeah. so that'll be a big uh time I think to ask some of those important questions and, and frankly, you know, losing to Iowa State, losing to Oklahoma, that's fine. Like both of those programs are good. Um Oklahoma's having a great year. They're twenty two and four. Um and losing to Oklahoma State, who's on a roll right now, they're 9-5 in conference play, uh, tied for third, is not, not horrible either. But going on the road and losing to Kansas State by 20 is a problem. Um, Kansas State is now 4-10 and 10 in the Big 12. And just to put some context on how bad this loss was, um, after Baylor lost to Kansas State by 20, Kansas State then showed up in Fort Worth against an 0-13 TCU team in conference play. and and they lost by double digits to TCU. That's just inexcusable, and and that's kind of where K-State is at as a program, and that just tells you how bad that loss was for Baylor. And I know you don't want to make too big of a deal about it, but you kind of have to right now because now they're inching dangerously close to being on the bubble and out of the NCAA tournament which would be unprecedented for this program. I don't care. You know, the injuries, I've mentioned this. The injuries have piled up. I understand that. Um, But to be on the bubble, even with, I mean, there's still talent on this roster. Like, this is still a program that recruits at a high level. There's no reason for them to be on the bubble and losing to a program like Kansas State at this point, in my eyes. And so now you turn around and you go, hey, okay, they've lost four in a row. How do you get this back on track? Well, they have great opportunities to get back on track this week. They go to TCU, who, as I mentioned, is now 1-13 in Big 12 play. Absolutely cannot lose that game. You lose that game, and you're squarely on the bubble, in my eyes. Um, and then they play Texas Tech, who is and 4-10 and is on a big losing streak as well, kind of like Baylor is, and that game's at home. Another game you cannot lose. Um so 2 in a row they need to go 2 and 0 this week then they play at Texas you know Odds are you're probably going to lose that game, but it'd be great to see them bounce back and win that. And then you get West Virginia at the end of the year who's sitting tied with them in the standing. So three great opportunities for wins, three games they absolutely should win, and then a matchup against a rival who you can still go beat. So still plenty of time for them to build their resume more and get back on track uh, as March is right around the corner. But you know these past couple weeks have been really, really tough to watch, and they're just not in a great place right now.
1: Yeah, no they are uh in desperate need of a win that would make everything I think feel a lot better even if it was only temporary. As you mentioned, uh, Smokey's actually going to be recording a piece with her, okay. so we'll have that uh, locked and loaded. I don't anticipate that it's going to be like some long 20-minute deep dive. I think it's going to be kind of, you know, just a, a quick check-in, but uh a check-in nonetheless that's probably needed, and, and we haven't done that in quite some time. So that'll be a nice change of pace from just simply hearing her in press conferences, which as of late have been tough. And Garrett, you follow them. You write about them for the website, the Baylor women's team. So you've been uh, tracking all year, and we always like to you know, dive in for a, a second to get your take. And I think I kind of ran the gamut of summarizing sort mm-hmm. of what's been going on lately. But did I miss anything, and, and sort of where are you right now with, with where they sit?
0: Um, I think you kind of nailed it. Honestly, when you look at the team, I feel like the there have been reasonable concerns from Jaden Owens' offensive production all season long. Um, and I think right now, if you're a team and you're scouting Baylor, you realize that if we cannot let Sarah, if we can take Sarah Andrews out of the game offensively, then there's no real scoring threat from Baylor. And then if you go back and look at what Caitlin Bickle's been able to do defensively uh, over the past, I would say month or so. She gets in foul trouble, she, she and there's no help off the bench. The bench is so short because of everything with, you know, Asia getting hurt and Dre not being able to play and then whatever was going on with Kendrick Gillespie from a personal standpoint. So there's no help there. So if you can attack the basket and you can get uh, Caitlin in foul trouble and you can keep Sarah from scoring, you can beat Baylor. And I think the fact that you're having to rely on freshmen to really carry the load night in and night out is concerning at this point. But you, if you flip the script, maybe you can build off that and use that positive momentum going into next year. But right now, man, it, it's it's this is what I've been concerned about all year. They, they rely too much on shooting the deep ball. If you look, yeah. they, they rely uh, – so Sarah, Jamie Asbury, and um, um, Jaden combined for one of 15 from downtown. At some point, you've got to stop dr- shooting and drive to the rim, man. Right. Like, and, and they just haven't been able to do that. I think they're in their own head at this point. When you look at the the remaining schedule, I see your best case scenario is two and two, and you have to at least go two and two.
2: So two and two with a schedule of Texas Tech and West Virginia at home and in a road game. I don't think you beat
0: Texas, and I don't think you beat West Virginia. And the reason I'm saying that with West Virginia is because their head coach is in. I feel like is in Nikki Collins' head. She was the head coach of South Dakota State who beat them last year in the tournament. They handled business when they were in Morgantown. Now you're coming into Waco. And if you're – I just – you know, maybe that's just me kind of, you know, being selfish – or not selfish, but no, I mean, but they're both seven and seven. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Uh, that's just kind of where I'm at right now. Looking at this, I, you know, you beat Tech by 20. The first time around, TCU is what it is. Texas, I don't see you beating Texas. But that wild card game with West Virginia, if they, if they can get over that hump, I think your best case scenario is two and two.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's very fair. That's why we asked. And, and that's, uh, you know, with the old. Uh, I guess ways of doing things where you're very post-driven. You know, the last thing you wanted to see was like a red-hot shooting three-point team, and that was kind of their Achilles heel. We could all go back to the Louisville game back when Brittany Griner was still playing, and that was like the way that you could get to them was just a hot shooting team. There wasn't much they could do about it, right? And then with Nicky Collin, the idea is they're they're not so much post-driven. It's like you rely a lot on shooting, and if you can't shoot well on a given night, then you're just kind of screwed, man. And instead of having an option to pivot to that you feel strongly about, it's like we'll just keep firing and hope they start dropping. Their
2: options are young. The options right, that yeah. they're trying to you know feed the ball and to that's
1: for various reasons. And, and like to her credit, like she's not dealing with the full deck, but also that's not going to stand as like, a, a reason why you're not where you're supposed to be, and and you can't do that year after year, and you can't really even do that like 10 games in a row or, you know, whatever you want to, you know, point to stretch wise. Um, and, and she's not been like, you know, out there making excuses or anything, but it is just, it's frustrating when you start to look, okay, what's, what's going on? And, and yeah, there's not so many, there's not a lot of options out there for you when it's, you know dadgum near march i mean it this is go time now like you don't have a transfer portal right now you're going to have that in the off season you had all your time to to get this together and you caught some bad breaks but i mean it is what it is so got to rally the troops and just keep chipping away and firing away and uh yeah i mean i think 2 and 2 would be your baseline 3 and 1 would be ideal 4 and 0 oh would be a dream because that means you beat texas and that doesn't seem all that likely at this point but anything less than 2 and 2 and that would be really Really bad news. And right now, you mentioned them being on the bubble. Uh, I see them in the latest ESPN as an eight seed. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's sort of where they're sitting right now. It is hard to imagine a tournament without them in it. But, I mean, that's kind of the fire that they were, you know, playing with. And so I understand frustrations. And she's probably as frustrated as much as anybody. Again, we'll hear from her on 365 Sports, her being head coach Nikki Collin uh, later on this afternoon. But, yeah, just super unfamiliar territory. So the stands right now, standings right now, Oklahoma and Texas both at twelve and three. OU on fire. They've won six straight games. Uh then you got Oklahoma State and Iowa State are both at nine and five. They each have uh, been on a little bit of a streak. Oklahoma State having won five straight now. So the state of Oklahoma playing some good women's basketball. But yeah, OU, Texas, Oak State, Iowa State, and then the pair at seven and seven, West Virginia and Baylor for what it's worth, KU 6 and 8, Tech and K State 4 and 10 apiece, and then TCU at 1 and 13. So, yeah, um, need to get at least a couple of wins in these next two. Or, yeah, at least a couple of wins in these next four,
2: but uh, getting three or four wins would be far, far more ideal, although very tough to pull off. Yeah, and and really quickly, they're an eight seed, but just to be clear, let's say they do go you know, the direction that Garrett just said, wins against TCU and Texas Tech aren't going to help you at all. Those aren't impressive wins. And then if you lose to the two teams that are actually, you know, relevant on your schedule, you know, if they go two and two and then they're bounced in the first round of the big 12 tournament, which they're trending in that direction right now. Um, I think they're probably looking at like a 10, maybe an 11 seed. I I, I mean, Because, I mean, if you're an 8 right now and you don't get any big wins on your resume, you just add two wins over kind of, you know, what I would call cupcakes, like, that's not going to really move the needle. Now, if you go 1-3 and during this stretch and then bounce in the Big 12 tournament, you're probably one of the last teams in the field. So that's kind of where I view them at right now.
1: All right, uh, elsewhere, uh, just kind of doing a a sweep throughout the rest of spring. Not going to touch on everything, um, but let's just hit the diamond real briefly. Mitch Thompson in baseball, they open up, uh, get a walk-off win on Friday night, his debut as head coach, and uh, nice to see them have a dramatic walk-off win to kind of get the era uh, started, and, you know, that was – Kind of like Hollywood movie, <laughs> you know, not quite to the level of, of of Hollywood probably because it was just the first game of the season, but that was a very kind of uh, almost like somebody wrote a script for Mitch Thompson's first game uh, as the Bears won six to five in extra innings, uh, but not a great follow up dropping the next two game two in particular. I mean, they lose 20 to five, but they give up, what was it? 15 runs in one inning. Uh, to lose by 15 runs, uh, so an ugly game two against Central Michigan, maybe a little bit of a hangover of, of celebrating the night before the, the big first win, uh, but then drop a close one in game number three to drop their first series. Central Michigan, a respectable opponent, uh, but the way you started off, you like would like to have gotten one of those next two. And that game two, like I said, was was really ugly. But uh, baseball, getting off the uh, getting off the uh, sidelines
2: and getting to it, and uh, you're shaking your head. Not 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 excited about the first series? No, I just this was really tough to watch, honestly, because in all seriousness, those two games that they lost, game two and game three, um, just came down to two innings, Yeah, you know, to be honest. So like you mentioned, the 15-run inning in game two, you lo- that game was over after that 15 running. And then in game three, it was the second inning, they gave up four runs in that inning, and those were all four runs that Central Michigan scored for the game. They lost that game 4-3. I mean, it was a close one, especially in the sixth, and um, – It's just, it was frustrating because it felt like Baylor. I'm not going to say they should have won this series, but they had a great chance to win this series against a program that's won uh, at least 42 games each of the last two years. So they were right there. Unfortunately, I think that might happen a lot this year. This is a young, inexperienced team with a lot of transfers, a pitching staff that I don't fully trust right now. Um, At this point, you know, we'll see if they improve and you know, get better throughout, but, you know, I I have concerns coming out of this, but it's not really concerns that I didn't think were going to be concerns coming in. This team was picked to finish last in the conference for a reason. The expectation is just that they should compete, play hard, be in a lot of games, be in series, hopefully win a couple series that they shouldn't. Um, And, you know, hopefully when you turn around at the end of the year, they've won like 30 games and maybe have won double-digit Big 12 games. That would be a crazy successful year for this team uh in the first year with Mitch Thompson so I come away encouraged but also just seeing they're going man they had a great chance to start two and one and win a, their opening series
1: yeah when you don't necessarily think that there's going to be a ton of series wins on the horizon the ones that you do have an opportunity to win you better you know grab those while you can and so yeah a golden opportunity at home especially taking game one uh but yeah just a Bad inning in game two. I mean, fifteen runs in one inning and with two outs. Yeah, it was like with all with two, two outs. outs. Yeah, I mean that's insane how that happens. But uh, yeah, that that bit them. and then yeah, a close one on Sunday. So uh, they go one and two. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean it's it's one of those years where there's not sky high expectations. Although I do think people feel like Mitch Thompson will get it righted before. You know, too long, but I'm excited to see how they grow. Not a big overreaction to the opening series again, as you mentioned, they were picked last in the conference uh I don't think people want to set that as the standard and just expect them to lose all the time but uh yeah it'll it'll be interesting to see kind of how they jump back into it and, and how they fare uh, moving forward. But good to see them get you know off to the uh, the fun start just in terms of all the people that were there on Friday night and kind of this new era getting started and to have the big win was at least a, a nice feel-good moment. Uh, and I think there will be some more of those along the way. But they'll play Houston Christian tonight at Baylor Ballpark uh, and – that's Tuesday for anybody listening after the fact. And uh, then Duke on the road for a weekend series. So that's all getting underway. Meanwhile, on the women's side of things, Diamond-wise, a uh, perfect game pitched last weekend and uh, hosting the Getterman Classic. Uh, they go 4-0, and and that includes not only a... Uh, Perfect, or what was it? A perfect game or was it a no hitter? Perfect game. game. Yeah, it was a seven inning perfect game, first First, in school history. Uh, But also in that same weekend of going 4 0, a huge win over number one Oklahoma, who does not. Lose much ever in uh, the game of softball. I mean, they have been the premier program now for a while uh, up there in Norman, Oklahoma. uh, But a huge win for Glenn Moore and this Baylor softball team and just a big weekend for them overall. So uh, he's he's probably... um, if you were around on campus, heard a lot of cheers coming from over at Getterman Stadium. But yeah, they finished the classic 4 and 0, also beat SFA and Longwood, shut them out by a combined score of 10 nothing. Shut out Army in the finale, 7 nothing. So uh, they go 14, 17 0, uh, or 17 nothing. They outscore three of their opponents and then the 4-3 win over number one OU in that third of four games. Now they stick around at home. They'll be back at Getterman this weekend and hosting the Baylor Invitational that'll feature Minnesota and Maryland and also A&M Commerce. Um, so they'll have a bunch of games coming up uh, starting uh, later on this week. But man, what a what a start for Glenn Moore and uh, Dariana Orme with the uh, the yeah. perfect game and also uh, had some, some more impact uh, on the mound and and uh, just
2: team-wide uh, throughout the rest of the weekend as well. But, man, what a great start for, for that program. Yeah, Dariana Arm she was fantastic this week. She pitched against Oklahoma as well, got the win in that one. Um, gave up six hits, but... Didn't give up a single earned run. She was fantastic. Like you said, she had the perfect game as well. Uh, Baylor's had a perfect game in the past, but it was in a five-inning game. So, like you said, first seven-inning perfect game uh, in Baylor history. Fantastic to see that. They had a great week. And this is a bounce back uh, for them because they lost to Arkansas in what was a very close game. This is a top five Arkansas team that they lost to. And they bounced back in a huge way this week. I, You know, I know it didn't get publicized a lot, but... Just to put in perspective, I think I the I'm trying to make sure I get the stat right, but I believe Oklahoma has lost seven times in the last two years, something like that. Yeah, it's something crazy. Like this wasn't just a a big win. Th- this was a historic win for the program and for you know just Baylor this year. Um, but I think it was something like they're 128 and. Eight. Oh yeah, they've been last, like, exceptional. It's the first win for Baylor over them in like five so, years. So yeah, they're 123 and 8 since 2021. 123 and 8. This is an epic win. And it wasn't like they were facing their backup pitchers either. They they faced their their ace, I believe, in that game. So they, they definitely, you know, they got pushed and Baylor pushed right back, came away with a massive win. And um very happy for them. And now they're finally ranked, which also they're ranked 25th in the nation. Come on, guys. Do better. They just beat the number one team in the nation, and they only moved up to 25, and their only loss is to a top five Arkansas team. Come on now. But uh, anyways, if they, if they have another really good week, and I could see them bouncing up even more. But great to see this for Glenn Moore and that program. It's truly a historic win.
1: Yeah, big time win, big weekend. So, again, they'll be back at home for more uh, starting on Friday and at least four games. Uh, and then they will go into like, the tournament part of, uh, you know, like the one versus four, two versus three, depending on how the first few games shake out. But, yeah, some good teams coming to town, so that should make for – uh, an entertaining weekend uh, as you start to have that sort of spring feel around campus which is always uh, pretty nice and and super active and and fun so uh yeah big week and there's plenty more again check out the good the bad the ugly column for like a digest of, of what all's going on that's over on the sitcom 365 premium side of things if you're not a member already there's just one of a million reasons why to Go and uh, throw your support our way and uh, follow along with all things Baylor athletics uh, in front of the camera and behind the scenes as well. Uh, But, yeah, there's a little bit of a roundup of kind of all things going on right now or a lot of the things going on right now. Um, Let's touch briefly on a couple of football notes. There's not a lot to get to. The spring game was announced as far as, like, we just know dates now, and we didn't know that previously. So that's good to, to have out there. Uh, we're going to be waiting until late April, April 22nd, uh, a Saturday uh, green and gold game that'll be green and gold weekend. But uh, that gives us about two months exactly uh, to ramp up to uh, the green and gold game that will bring spring to a close. But that also means we've got uh, about one month exactly till practices start. So we got a month from today march twenty first they'll get underway fifteen practices don't know anything about the schedule or access to that just yet, but if it's been like past years, then we'll have an opportunity to kind of walk around at practices a few times and also get some audio in those things but uh yeah march twenty first to kick off practices uh, and then april twenty second to close out practices with that you know green and gold scrimmage uh, but fifteen to go and uh, we'll cover all fifteen of those. You know, there's not like breaking news, but like we'll we'll keep you up to date as best we can on on all things going on during that time period. So good to have a, a date in mind as far as that goes and start to plan accordingly. Also saw where they hired a, a new assistant uh, on staff from the clean area, Craig Watts Jr., assistant O line coach. Uh, played his ball at clean high. He uh, used to play in the NFL for a, a bit as well, and so he's going to be heading back as he said in his message to the two five four. Uh, and helping out Erica Mateos and Jeff Grimes. But, yeah, Craig Watts, now a Baylor assistant O-line coach. So just a, a
2: small staff note there as well. But, uh, Grayson, he's, anything? Yeah, he's coming in for Patrick and I think. I'm not sure where he's heading, but he was I – th- I don't know if it's GA, if that's kind of how they they get around this. But, yeah, so I think that's what he's replacing. That's basically just of it. He's not yeah. a full-time assistant, right. One fifth, one of the ten main – Yeah, hmm and so he'll come in. That was, I think, a nice pickup and an intriguing little news story. And then, of course, like you mentioned, the uh, spring game. You know, so excited for that. Excited to get spring football started. Uh, it should be fun. You know, I think the biggest thing is seeing who's on the roster, who's not on the roster, because we get more clarification on that. Uh, With the spring roster and then of course position changes Uh, because you know we're going to see it. We saw it last year. There were a lot of storylines. Christian Morgan was playing the star position um, at this time during the spring and so we're going to get to talk a lot about that as well. And also get our first look at you know the newcomers. Lots of transfers on this team. Lots of new faces. So uh, a lot to talk about for sure. And that we that always is a lot of fun, and, and I'm sure it will be again this year.
1: Yep. So we got that to look forward to here over the next few weeks, and we'll ramp up. But basketball, very much the headliners right now, and and that'll be the case. Uh, From from here on out, but we'll have that hopefully good amount of crossover as far as like them playing in the tournament and then football's ongoing and then baseball and softball are doing whatever they're doing and then all the rest of the sports as well. But hope to have some some major activity going on here in a month's time and uh, plenty to still be talking about. Uh, but that was kind of it football-wise. I mean, there wasn't, you know, you think about all the different freaking stories there have been this offseason. This is like the first time it's kind of just settled down somewhat because there's been signing days or coaching changes or transfer portal stuff or, I mean, you name it. They've pretty much been at it since since the season wraps. So, yeah, kind of a little lull. Although, I mean, uh, I guess – there was, uh, football-wise, some some alums that were playing in the XFL this past weekend. I had an article on that, so you maybe saw Abram Smith or Josh Gordon or those guys on TV. Seemed like it was a nice opening weekend for that league and for those guys. But, yeah, I mean, that'll kind of have to tide you over outside of recruiting stuff, but... uh Good to good to see that date out there. So, I uh, want to get into some mailbag questions yeah, here. Let's do it. All right, we'll touch on a few more things here to close it out as we normally do with the uh, mailbag here on the Bearcast. And let's start off with Scotty B, the Baylor King. Buy or sell the Big 12 We'll have one, Okay, the Big Twelve will have two one seeds for the NCAA tournament for men's basketball.
2: Yeah, I'm going to sell it. I think that they're gonna have one and I think it's gonna be Kansas. And then I, I think Baylor and Texas will probably be on the two line. That's just kind of where things are trending right now. It just my my issue is is how are these teams gonna pass Houston, Alabama, Purdue, and Kansas? I, I just think it's gonna be hard for those four to get moved out unless they go on a really long losing streak. Um and there's also some other teams that I think are still ahead of them. So yeah, I, I'd say sell.
1: Uh let's see here. The committee, uh, didn't they release their rankings here recently? They had those updated rankings. I think I just, okay, it's loading up now. So they had, what was that, Uh, Alabama... At one, Houston at two, Purdue at three, Kansas at four. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, yeah, Kansas is the safe bet for sure. And that's the one I would go with. And yeah, I don't think they're going to get two number ones. It's seeds just going to be hard to, yeah.
2: like, Bama doesn't really play anyone in the SEC. Houston plays no one in the American. And Purdue, you know, Big Ten soft as well. I just, it's going to be hard to pass those teams, I, I think, even if they go on a huge winning streak. Thank you, Scotty,
1: for the question. Master Pierce, PH, what a win by Baylor Softball. Drove up from Houston to watch the game. It was 100% worth it. Do you guys know how Glenmore recruits and the types of players he goes after? The team chemistry is incredible.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily know his recruiting strategy, but what I do know is... Some of it's been transfer portal. A lot I, of it's been transfer portal. I was going to mention that. We know that he targets the transfer portal, and we know this year specifically he's hit. On these transfer additions, which hasn't always been the case over the past few years, which is why we've kind of seen some up and down, ups and downs. Honestly, from the softball program that had been so consistent for quite a few years, um, so great to see them kind of, it, it seems at least, getting it back on track.
1: Yeah, and uh, look no further than Miss Perfect Game from the yeah. transfer portal, uh, Dariana coming over from Fresno State. So that was one of the the players that they went and got in the portal. And I do know last year, remember when they were. Uh, it was just kind of like middle of the road, sort of struggling here and there, not like a whole lot to get excited about, but I remember there was a lot of talk about like, wait till next year, wait till next year. And there was just a confidence about that and, uh, you know, hitting the transfer portal and, um, the way the team had been shaped up that there was a feeling that like, Hey, they're going to be pretty good this upcoming year. And so far, I mean, you see how it started off, but I mean, looking, I mean, besides, um, you know, Orme, and I hope I'm saying her name right. If I'm not, then yeah. I'll, I'll get that right because I'm a stickler about that. But uh, Govan as well, who had the big home run, also a transfer. Yeah. So, like, that's that just goes to show you right there, like two of their biggest players this past weekend, both from uh, the transfer portal, uh, she had come over from SFA. So, with the big home run, um, you already had a, a pretty significant impact coming out of two of your portal additions. So, that's part of it. But outside of that, I don't really know. I mean, that's a question – I think like if Faith has an interview with Glenn Moore or we happen to get him on the show, I'll try and keep in mind to uh, you know bring that up with with Glenn Moore. But definitely succeeding in the transfer portal is, is part of their strategy, Master Pearson. Glad to hear that you had a good time. It seemed like if there was ever a weekend to drive up and check out, you know, Getterman Stadium for some softball, last weekend was a heck of a weekend to do so. So glad to hear that you had a good time. DWH 1845. Which quarterback room would you prefer—the one that included Austin Novasad or the one that we have now? Well, obviously they would look different because uh, the moves they made to fill out the rest of this room were all based on his decommitment on uh, signing day. So, what are you looking at there? Blake Shapen and Austin Novasad and. I don't know. know who the third quarterback is in that situation. Or I mean, maybe it's still R.J. Maybe it's but, R.J. Martinez. But we don't know that for sure. But we don't know that. So instead, let's go, it's Blake Shapin and Austin Nova side, or it's Blake Shapin and it is uh, Sawyer
2: Robertson and it's R.J. Martinez. Yeah, I mean, it's the second one because it's better for next season. I mean, you know, you can make the argument that having Austin for four years and maybe once he turns, you know, gets bigger and puts on the weight for his frame and you know really turns the corner in his development then maybe he'd be the best quarterback prospect of the bunch very possible Uh, but I think for this next year and probably the year after I, I just I like the veteran leadership that they have in the room now I like that you know, sora Robertson has been coached by Mike leach for multiple years and now comes over to Baylor with a lot of experience in that regard uh, you still have shaping in both scenarios and then you get RJ Martinez who is very productive uh, at the FCS level so to get him to walk on is massive as well uh, I I yeah I, I think I'm gonna go with the one that they ended up with um, even though I couldn't have imagined saying that when Austin did decommit.
1: I mean, here's the thing is, you know, Nova was the big high profile recruit here of, of late, but yeah, Sawyer Robertson was in a, a similar position. I mean, not necessarily like let's compare their elite 11 numbers and all that across the board, but a four star rated guy that was coveted by Mike Leach and was going to be playing some games for the Bulldogs here in the future. I mean, he thought he was good enough to go play and, you know, uh, air it out in the sec. Then that's good enough for me. Like, I mean, uh, I'll 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 default to the Pirates, so I don't think that there's really a major difference. Now, like, five, ten years from now, as Austin Novosad started in the NFL and Sawyer Roberts not, okay, then we can have a much clearer comparison. But I think on paper, a guy who just signed versus a guy who signed a year before, there's not a lot to differentiate. So you kind of could just... Two, two years. Two years, yeah, yeah, two years. So he's actually, yeah, been in college even yeah. longer. So he, He's older. An older guy, so... However you want to split that up. So, yeah, give me the extra quarterback in the room. And and they would have addressed that too. And maybe it would have been R.J. Martinez, like you said. But this is what they have. And um, I don't think it's all that different from –
2: from if Novosi would have signed. so well, I think Sawyer basically did the same thing Austin did except for the part where Sawyer completely shut down his recruitment after he committed to Mississippi State. He would have had a lot more offers, gotten a lot more high profile in my eyes had he taken visits and gone to different camps like Austin ended up doing. So, I mean, rankings are always dictated by offers, and so I, I do find them to be fairly similar prospects as they were in high school, like you mentioned.
1: So on paper, splitting hairs probably, but we'll get to see here in the next couple of years
2: what that answer really is. But for this year, I don't think there's any doubt that it's Sawyer Robertson just because he's older. He's more veteran. He's more proven. Like,
1: Yeah, it may not be you know. like a huge advantage, but it is, you'd rather have more experience than not mm-hmm. have experience. So, yeah, I think you'd, you'd slightly go with the Sawyer Robertson um, you know, addition versus the Austin Nova side deci- uh, uh, signing decision. But, um, yeah, I don't think there's a huge difference outside of – of that so far.
2: Uh, Papa Bear, what was Flo Thomba's best year at Baylor? Um, his So to me, his best year was the end of last year. Once every day, John got hurt. I felt like he really turned a corner. He was playing really good basketball. Obviously, he didn't play very well in the North Carolina game in the, you know, round of 32. But, Prior to that, he played good basketball and really had. A, I felt like a real his best stretch of his career. Um, so I would go with last year, I guess. At the national championship year, he had moments as well, but I felt like he was uh, at his best last season, which also makes kind of his regression, you know, this year even more uh, puzzling.
1: Bearcats, what is your confidence level one to ten? The Baylor men's basketball team at least makes the Sweet Sixteen.
2: Yeah, so I have it at an eight right now. Um, But I'm concerned about it. The defense is just so bad. I mean, it's 88th in the nation. Um, It's very concerning because when you get to the tournament, if you face a team that gets hot and you're not playing good defense – You're going to lose and you're going to get upset. It's happened to Baylor in the past. They lost to North Carolina last year. And I know North Carolina got hot, but you still lost to a team that you were favored to beat. Um, They lost to Yale in 2015, lost to Georgia State in 2014. There's been upsets in there, and so I I am concerned, Um, but again, an eight is still pretty high. A big part of this is going to come down to their seeding and what the matchup looks like, Um, but they really do need to turn that defense around. So I'm still at an eight, but I will tell you, if they lose a few more times before the tournament, I'm going to have some real pause.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, like a seven as far as that goes more confident than I'm not but I'm not super confident because I've seen in years past how difficult it is just to get to that second weekend I mean that first game is one thing that second game is an entirely different matter and so it's it's tough man um even if you're somebody who's been flirting with the top 10 basically all year long or flirting with the top 25 all year long like they have um yeah it's just it's really difficult and there's a reason why you know it's such a monumental like oh sweet 16 such a big deal because hard to get to no matter how good you are consistently so yeah uh, I'm at a seven but I'm not uh, all in and, and banking on anything just yet uh, thank you for the question, Bearcats. BU Fiji 77, what's your prediction of Big 12 teams making it to the Sweet 16, speaking of?
2: Yeah, um, so Andrea Cameron actually mentioned in our YouTube chat that Houston's technically a Big 12 team, so that would give the Big 12 two number <laughs> Not one Not quite seats. yet, yeah. but yes. That, <laughs> asterisk yes. Yes, definitely an asterisk there, so thanks for that comment. Thank you um, very much for listening. As far as your my prediction for Big 12 teams making it to the Sweet 16, I, so right now I got, I think Kansas, Baylor, and Texas, Texas will make the Sweet 16. That's where I'm kind of at right now. I think they'll get a good enough seeding that their second-round matchup will be favorable. And then, I, you know, I'm still on this Kansas State TCU train that I still think they can make a little bit of noise in March and get to the Sweet 16. So right now, you know, I see five teams that could make it. I don't think Iowa State will make that run. I don't see, you know, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, you know, Tech, if they make it really making a whole lot of noise.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Um, you know, as dominant as the conference is, I mean, there is, is something to be said for uh again, just how difficult it is to get mm-hmm. to that stage. So I, I think that that's fair. Um but there's man some great candidates. The Big Twelve could really go crazy. So much will depend on seating yeah. and how spread out teams are, you know, like how bunched up or spread out are they, that'll make a massive difference, I would think. So yeah, long a lot of missing information, but um there's some some great candidates to have, you know, two or three uh, bare minimum and then maybe even go crazier than that. But it all depends
2: on kind of how the chips fall the next couple of weeks. Right. I mean, if TCU gets like an eight seed, then obviously won't be pe- picking them to make the Sweet 16. But if they're able to win some games, get to like the, you know, five line, you know, maybe they could make some noise there, make a Sweet 16. Same with K-State. They should be right around that three or four seed line, I think, when the tournament comes around. Yeah, and we will
1: see the Wildcats later tonight again. Baylor and K State, round two coming up in Manhattan. But one more question before we head on out of here. Ed Nashville, thank you for answering my question a couple weeks ago about which quarterback you would prefer, Sawyer Robertson or Austin Novicide. Uh, we well, are welcome, uh, Ed. Thanks for the question. After the spring competition with Robertson versus Shapin, and if Coach Aranda names a starting quarterback, what are the chances that the loser transfers out and then we would be back in the same position as before with no strong backup? Well, Ed, that's the reason why I don't believe they're going to name a starting quarterback coming out of spring football. That's how I think you avoid that entirely is you take that competition into fall camp and let them sort it out there and then go from there. And I would think that's probably something they've established in bringing in new guys is to, you know, let and know, like, hey, man, you're not – guaranteed anything you're gonna to have to compete but um i don't know that you can say like hey we're gonna not name anybody just yet i think you got to let them be open-minded to think that like hey you can go win the job here in the next couple of months but i mean from a roster management standpoint you gotta you gotta be aware of that situation presenting itself and so i'm sure they're mindful of that and, and planning accordingly
2: yeah, I'm 100% with you. I don't see how you name a starting quarterback out of the spring for that very reason. you got to make sure that all these guys are still at Baylor. Um, you know, I would say, though, I, I do think that if you name Blake Shape and your starter, I, I don't see Sawyer Robertson leaving after just transferring in. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that that's, that would be the safer way of playing it. I also think if one does leave, you still have RJ Martinez, who I still think is a fairly capable quarterback and could come in and play uh, for this team. Like, he's better than what they had, uh, well... You can argue he's better than what they had last year as their third string quarterback. I think upside wise, he might be better than Luke Anthony. We, don't we never really got know. to see Luke Anthony, yeah. so we don't know for sure. But um, yeah, I think they're going to wait till the fall. I think that's the smart decision uh, to go with, and that way you have all three of those quarterbacks. You know, when you come around to fall football, and you know you have depth in the room, which is so important.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's part of the, the game nowadays and always has been is, you know, handling your roster and your quarterback room. But now more than ever, it's, it's a fragile situation if you don't do it right. And you can look up overnight and all of a sudden go from having a full room to having one guy. And yeah. Baylor's experienced kind of the gamut of that. Um, and now, yeah, a really, a big get in Sawyer Robertson and R.J. Martinez as well, but they're going to have to be smart with how they they handle that and, you know, letting guys know what the deal is and what to expect and keeping everybody abreast of, of just how, how the program operates. But um, I would imagine that we're going to be talking about Robertson and shaping in that quarterback room for the next several months and, and probably in the next season. And, and who knows when a starter's announced, but I'm not banking on it being in spring. Uh, I know that was a big talking point last year because we were all like either shaping or Bohannon. Somebody's staying, somebody's going. I don't think that they're going to run into that same situation this no. time around. I think everybody kind of knows the deal. And everybody's locked in for this upcoming year, so I do think that that's a, a good thing. But let's see how it shakes out, you know. Um, if somebody just goes there and blows the competition out of the water, who knows, but I'm not expecting that. I think we'll, again, be talking about this for a while. But thank you for the question, and uh, thanks to everybody who asked questions this week in the uh, mailbag. Scotty, Master Pierce, DW, Bearcats, Paul, B U Fiji, and Ed, Thank you to all of you for your questions and for listening as well. Thanks to Andrea as well for um, uh, listening and chiming in on the chat room and and everybody else a part of the... Program Thanks to Garrett Ross behind the scenes as well. Garrett uh, will be with us again this afternoon from 3 until
2: 6 with Smokey and Paul. But, uh, Grayson, anything before we head out here? No, just be sure to listen to uh, 365 Sports 3 to 6 Monday through Friday. And then, of course, Sikkim 365 Premium for all the content, all the you know up-to-date information, especially as fall or spring camp is right around the corner. You you don't want to miss out. We, we have all kinds of content and coverage of uh, spring camp and spring football in general.
1: Yeah, T-minus-1 months. Of- that gets fully underway. In the meantime, seeing videos of Josh Cameron uh, yeah. swinging some weight around and some others as well. That's been fun to see some glimpses behind the scenes. But for Grayson Grunhafer, Garrett Ross, for you out there, thank you very much one last time. And we'll talk to you next week. It's been the Bearcast on Sickham365.com, 365 Sports.